Romans 4, we'll read 1 to 8. Our study today is verses 6 to 8. 4 verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But for what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for our salvation. Thank you that we are justified, that we have our sins covered. There is no imputation, no reckoning of our sins against us because we believe in your Son, our only one and only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and thank you that though we cannot be righteous based on our own deeds, our own faith, or anything in us, it is the faith that's in Christ that saves us. We're grateful for that. Remind us of this truth and teach us, Lord, to be increasing in this faith and knowledge, true knowledge, that we might know you better and preach the gospel more accurately. In Christ, amen. We've come to David, David who was justified by faith. In this passage, of course, from chapter one, I'm sorry, sorry, chapter four, verse one, all the way to the end, his focus is on Abraham, but he has this brief section, verses six to eight, on David, Abraham and David. And it should not be a surprise to us that the apostle and the scriptures usually focus on Abraham and David in terms of those who were godly men, men who were justified by faith in Christ. These two names should not be a surprise to us. For example, Matthew chapter 1, it calls Christ the son of Abraham and the son of David. Son of Abraham and David. We also note from these examples that Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ. David lived 1,000 years before Christ. And both of these men were justified by faith in Christ. Also note that Moses lived midpoint between Abraham and David. Moses lived midpoint between Abraham and David. If Abraham lived about 2000 BC, Moses lived about 1500 BC, and David 1000 BC. Moses is midpoint. So the law of Moses, in other words, does not subvert or does not change or abolish whatever was true in the life of Abraham. Moses does not change anything in terms of how we are saved. People like to think that things changed drastically in reference to the way of salvation once the law of Moses was written and delivered to the people of Israel, the nation. But that's not true. This is why David is used as an example, because he is after the law of Moses. He is living in the period under the jurisdiction of the law of Moses. David is living that way. So 
What David experienced was the same as what Abraham experienced. So that's why verse 6, just as David, just as David, David is just like Abraham. David is the same way. He also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Righteousness is reckoned to David, and not only David, but others too. Notice in verse 7, blessed are those, blessed are those, and blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Sometimes the singular is put for the plural to speak, of, for example, of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. Using a single example as a representation of the way it should be generally among believers. That's the same here. David is speaking not only of himself, but he's also speaking of anyone else who has this experience. And what is it? It's a blessing. The blessing. Blessings, are they deserved blessings or undeserved blessings? Undeserved. undeserved. Of course, they are undeserved blessings. Why are they undeserved? In reference to Romans, how do we know that this blessing of being reckoned righteous is undeserved, even within Romans. His argument has been what so far? No one is righteous. Not one who is righteous. That would be chapter 3, 9 to 12. He has spoken that way. Whether Jew or Gentile, no one is righteous. Therefore, how can one become righteous? How can we receive this blessing? It has to be by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. His death burial, resurrection for our sins. This is the blessing we have. And then the, the reckoner, the one who imputes, the one who d- does this is whom? It's God. It's not our fellow men. It's, it's not ourselves. It doesn't come from any other source, but it comes from God himself. He is the only one. And remember, he's saying God here in verse 6, and he says God in verse 3, but does he mean God in an ambiguous way? Does he mean any God? Or does he mean something more specific? And how can we know? To whom God reckons righteousness. How can we know that he doesn't mean God generally or vaguely, ambiguously, or just any God? has to be the righteous God because the only, only a righteous God can declare others righteous. Yes, it has to be the righteous God because only he can declare others righteous. Romans 3.26. 3.26 says that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we have the just God, the righteous God, and he's the one who justifies or reckons righteous others. And these others must have faith in Jesus. Not a vague faith, right? Not faith in just anything or anyone or any God. It has to be faith in Jesus. And then when it is faith in Jesus, what is the content 
of that faith. Look at Romans 4. What is the content of this faith? We begin at 4.22. 4.22. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. In this passage, what is it that Abraham received? Righteousness. We also may be reckoned righteous, but how? By faith in him, God, not God vaguely, but God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. We stress this point that it's not God vaguely because the vague belief in God is a common misunderstanding and misinterpretation of Scripture. It is commonly believed, with, whether you are in Christianity or outside of Christianity in another religion, a false religion outside of Christianity, that it's okay if you do the best you can with the limited knowledge that you have. Even if you have no knowledge of the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, God in Jesus Christ, if you have no knowledge, as long as you do the best you can with the knowledge you have of the spiritual world, then you will be saved. And then within Christianity, there are people who think that this is true of those outside of Christianity. Furthermore, they think that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a Christian or claim to be a Christian. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can say you believe in Jesus, and as long as you say you believe in Jesus, you're saved from your sins, and you'll go to heaven. But nobody, or rarely, do people say, well, what Jesus? What Jesus are you putting your faith in? What is it that Jesus has done for you that you believe in him? People don't get to that point, and then... They think everybody within Christianity is going to heaven when actually you have to have the correct faith, correct understanding. The content of your faith must be correct. That's why we say we must believe in Jesus. And who believed in Jesus? Who believed in Jesus Christ for salvation in our passage, Romans 4, the two names? Abraham, Abraham and, David. and David. Yes, Abraham and David. They both believed in him. That's why we have to understand Abraham and David correctly. What happens is people will take Abraham and David as examples of those who did not know about Christ, did not know he would come and die for their sins did not know that he would rise from the dead. And when they teach that, they say, because Abraham did not know, and David did not know, Moses did not know, nobody else knew, therefore it's unnecessary for us to know now. If Abraham could be saved without faith in Christ, then we can be saved without faith in Christ. You see how it works? That's actually what they believe. 
And it's commonly known in different theological terms. Sometimes it's called dispensationalism. Liberalism, theological liberalism, teaches the same. Uh, Another is called progressive covenantalism and new covenant theology. New covenant theology. Now, new covenant sounds good, but it's really not good. They're taking a, a phrase from the Bible and perverting its meaning, it, the true biblical mean, meaning of it. So th- this is the, these are the common terms to describe people who think one can be saved, just like Abraham was saved, without faith in Christ, that he died and rose again for him. That's not what the apostles teaching, however. Now, if we believe in Christ, what is it that we experience? Verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Where is this quotation found? Where is this quotation found? He doesn't introduce it with the typical, it is written for the scripture says, or have you not read in that way? But he does imply it when he says, David also speaks in verse six. Where can we find this? Psalm 32. Yes, Psalm 32, verses one and two. Keep your place here. Psalm 32, verses one and two. 32, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the quote from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. We notice, by the way, one of the Doctrines that we believe is known as justification by faith. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. But this justification happens because of our faith. Another word, another legal word for justification would be imputation, to impute. And this is found here in Psalm 32. It's necessary to point this out because there are some, especially among scholars, who say the concept of justification was invented by the Apostle Paul. It's a new doctrine invented by the Apostle Paul. He coined the word, he coined the concept in, for example, Romans 4. He coined it and he imposes it on Abraham and David. Though Abraham and David did not know about it and did not experience it, he superimposes and goes back in time. Basically, he's rewriting history or he's distorting history. He's really distorting what actually happened to Abraham and David. They were not justified. But David, in his own words, says, Impute iniquity, does not impute iniquity or reckon, right? So in this sense of imputation or justification, 
we have this phrase even in the mouth of David. We also find it in other places in the Old Testament. My point is merely to say that the Apostle Paul did not come up with a new strange doctrine to distort the faith of Abraham and David. He is reiterating it. He's expounding on it. He's explaining it. That's all he's doing here to show that he is consistent. He is consistent with David and Abraham. Okay, then in Romans 4, 7, it calls our sins lawless deeds. Lawless deeds. In what way are our sins lawless? Lawless. Reference to the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. Okay, in reference to the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. If we say the Ten Commandments, then that could also apply from Adam until Moses because the Ten Commandments were known between Adam and Moses. But if we're talking about the whole law of Moses, including the Ten Commandments, that would apply from Moses to David. In either case, we have laws that should not be transgressed, correct? Laws that should not be transgressed. Uh, For example, in the book of Genesis, for those who dispute the fact that the Ten Commandments were known in the Old Testament before Moses, was it right or wrong for Joseph to commit adultery with his master's wife, Potiphar's wife? Was it right or wrong in Genesis 39? It was wrong. Remember, Joseph resisted and he said, how could I do this great evil and sin against God, right? He said so. He knew that. He knew it was obvious that adultery was a sin against God, not just a sin against Potiphar or against himself or whatever. It was a sin against God. He knew it because the Ten Commandments were known before Moses. Joseph lived before Moses. Moses was not born until Exodus chapter 2. And the Ten Commandments aren't delivered until Exodus chapters 19 and 20. That's one example. What about theft? What about theft? Was that known to be wrong before Moses? Yes, because in Genesis 37, the brothers of Joseph basically steal him, kidnap him. Kidnapping is stealing, right? You steal a human being away from the lawful owners or the parents and you, you sell the human being or do whatever you want with the human being, right? You're stealing. And they all knew it was wrong. They all knew it was wrong. That's why they hid it. They covered it up. And so there's, there's another example, which these two commandments are found in the Ten Commandments. We could cite many more examples of the same. Genesis 9, lifeblood for lifeblood. Yes, Genesis 9, yes. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he, that is God, made him. Genesis 9, verse 6. That is, a murderer must be put to death. Because that is the only equal payment for murder. Since he murdered somebody, the equal payment is the murderer must be put to death. 
legally put to death, by the authorities put to death. These are examples in the book of Genesis. So lawless deeds, if we've committed these, we have this blessing of being justified, that God forgives us in Christ. And then verse 7 says, and whose sins have been covered. We are forgiven and we are also covered. Our sins are covered. In what way does he mean covered? Does he mean covered like we sweep, like we say about crimes or sins, that we sweep it under the rug? When it's swept under the rug, then the rug covers it, right? It covers the dust and the dirt and the filth on the floor, right? Does he mean covered in that way? Covered in what way? It was paid for by Christ's Yes. Yes, it's paid for by Christ's death on the cross. Um, for example, the covering, when does a covering first occur in the Bible? Yes, in the garden, right? In the garden in Genesis 3. Let's keep our place here and go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3:21. Genesis 3:21. It says, "And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife" and clothed them. He made garments of skin and clothed them. It says in verse 7, after they sinned, it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Sewed fig leaves and made themselves loin coverings. With fig leaves, they covered themselves. Notice it's they covered themselves with fig leaves. Then in verse 21, it's God who covers them. They attempted to cover their shame because of sin in verse 7 by their own means, their own works, and it didn't work, not before God. In verse 21, God covers them with garments of skin, and it works. It's satisfactory. He clothed them, and what happens if you have garments of skin. You have to kill an animal, right? You have to kill an animal to have garments of skin. And who killed the animal? It would have been God. God initiated, God forgave, God covered by supplying the death of the animal and the significance of that death to cover Adam and Eve. So he covered them. Now, if he instituted this death of the animal, which we find in chapter 4, Cain and Abel, they knew about sacrifices to present to God. Did those sacrifices save them? Or did those sacrifices signify our Lord and Savior? They were a type of shadow. Yes, okay. They were a type and shadow. So, the death of the animal was a type and shadow. If the worshiper believed in what it represented, then he was saved. If he did not believe in it, he was not saved by the sacrifice. 
And therefore, Abel was one who believed. And Adam and Eve also, after they sinned, they believed in the purpose of the death of the animal for their sins. That is, it signified the coming death of Christ, whose blood would cover their sins, wipe their sins away, cover them up, just like the the garments of skin. We have the, if we might say, the garments of the skin of Christ or the flesh of Christ. John chapter 6. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. Meaning, believe in my death and resurrection for your sins. And then verse 8. We come to verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He will not take into account the sin of those forgiven. Not take into account. We have kind of a, a, a banking metaphor, a banking metaphor and a legal metaphor here in the sense that sin is not taken into account. It's not reckoned. It's not credited or laid against the individual because God has blessed him with forgiveness. We, in other words, we don't get what we deserve. What is it that we deserve? Death. death. What kind of death? Only physical death? Eternal death. Also eternal death. Eternal or spiritual death, which means eternal punishment. That's what we deserve because of our sin. Just one sin, right? Just like Adam and Eve committed one sin, and they deserved eternal death. In the same way, when we uh, are conceived and born in, in the world, we deserve death. We deserve eternal death. But God will not take our sin into account because of Christ. This is the blessing we enjoy. Verse 6, the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Verse 8, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Before we close, a couple of places, name a couple of places in Scripture where we know that this has to be something that is undeserved and originating from God, a blessing, something good, something beneficial that we absolutely have to say originates with God and He grants to us. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 calls Christ the author and perfecter of faith. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author or originator and perfecter, the completer of faith. He starts it and he finishes it. Since we're at Hebrews 12, turn a couple of pages to James 1. James 1. James 1, 17 and 18. James 1, 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Every good thing bestowed. A bestowal is something good, right? It's something gifted from one to another. But every good thing and every perfect gift, it doesn't say originates with us. It says, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Because we are sons of darkness, he's the Father of lights. And we need redemption or we need light that only originates with him because there's no variation or shifting shadow. He's not a fickle father. He's a firm father and knows what he's doing, gifting us. Then in verse 8, in the exercise is his will, excuse me, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. It says, in the exercise of his will. It does not say in the exercise of his will in cooperation with our will. Right? His will and man's will cooperate. It doesn't say it. It says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. To bring forth, this is used for giving birth, or, and it's also used for the earth bringing forth its produce, its harvest, or its fruit. That's why he says, the first fruits among his creatures. God is the one who brought us forth like that. When we are born in the world, we don't bring about our own birth, right? Our parents do. They are the, the, the mediators of our birth. God is the originator of our birth. Our parents are the human mediators of it. And even in the human sense, they are the originators of it. But we don't do anything about our own birth. We don't cause it. They do, and ultimately, only God brings about birth or conception and birth. Verse 18, the means, the word of truth. The word of truth, that is the gospel. The gospel is the means. This is why we must preach the gospel, the word of truth, always. Any more comments or questions before we close? Micah 7, 18 and 19. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, 
and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Also verse 20. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Who is he addressing here? He's addressing, verse 18, the remnant of his possession. The remnant. The few in comparison to the many. These are the ones who are forgiven in this way. Good. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for the things that we have learned, the blessings that we have in Christ. We are grateful to you and we pray we'll remain faithful just as Christ is the author and perfecter of faith. This faith, we pray that is within us, we ask for perseverance that we remain, endure until the end. And we ask in his name, amen.